Hello, I'm Brianna Perry. And I'm Anna Carella. And we're the co-executive directors of Healthy and Free Tennessee, a statewide network that strives to promote sexual and reproductive health and freedom in Tennessee by advancing policies and practices which recognize these elements as essential to the overall well-being of all individuals and communities. Reproductive Freedom and highlights topics within reproductive freedom in Tennessee. Issues of reproductive freedom affect all people, and this podcast showcases stories across a range of experiences. We hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoyed putting it together. Birth workers, including midwives, doulas, and OBGYNs, are an important piece of the reproductive freedom movement. Reproductive freedom is not just about the ability to terminate a pregnancy or carry it to term. It's also about the quality of care that pregnant people have access to, how that differs by race and income, and what justice measures we can take to close the gap. The United States is the only developed country with a rising maternal mortality rate. This is largely driven by racial disparities in healthcare access. Black women are three to four times more likely to die of pregnancy-related causes than white women. Anna and I sat down with two birth workers in Memphis who are responding to the need for more equitable access to birth services and care for Black women and people to address the disparities that Black and other communities of color face. Dr. Nakia Grayson is a family nurse midwife, anthropologist, and public health activist. She's the only certified nurse midwife in Memphis who's able to do home births. She's worked for 10 years in public health and is devoted to serving and empowering people in marginalized communities. She currently works at Choices Memphis Center for Reproductive Health, providing holistic care to people throughout their reproductive lives. Maya Peak is a birth doula and founder of Peak Women's Wellness, an organization based in Memphis working to serve all women and families during their transition from pregnancy to birth. She is also the program manager at Abortion Care Network, an organization that supports independent abortion providers. She works to expand the full range of birth control options and abortion clinics across the country. We are so excited today to be in conversation with two phenomenal birth workers in Memphis, Maya Peak, a doula here, and Dr. Nakia Grayson, a certified nurse midwife. So thank you, ladies, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, yeah so uh, we just first want to begin with y'all's journey to y'all's respective fields. So Maya, your journey to becoming a doula and Dr. Grayson, your journey to becoming a certified nurse midwife. So if we could start there. Yeah. So I have been in reproductive health for almost eight years in some capacity. Um, I worked at um, local abortion um, clinics. Um, I first started as an intern at Feminist Women's Health Clinic and um, went to the Peace Corps and then finished up my master's at um, Harry Medical College and uh, their graduate program. So when I decided to come back to Memphis, I just basically saw a need um, and I started looking up like um, birth workers in Memphis and I really didn't see a lot of information around like black women that were doing this work. So um, I just really just start contacting like um, black women that were um, were doulas. And then I met one and then basically she just, she just showed me like what is going on in Memphis, Tennessee, what is needed. And then I just start doing it to start, um, aligning myself with women that were doing, um, birth work. Well, that's as much needed here. Um, I think that what brought me to birth work, that's a good question. Uh, me 
I'm also uh, someone who has a history in reproductive health and had been doing reproductive health for a long time in a different capacity, really focused more on HIV and AIDS and uh, STIs. And so uh, I started working on a project with the March of Dimes um, called Community Voices. Actually, I was working on it while I was a graduate student at the University of Memphis, and um, I was working on my medical anthropology degree and the project was to evaluate this program. It was an infant mortality program that was specifically focused on addressing infant mortality in the black community. And so they partnered with local churches to give infant mortality education to patients, uh, to families. And in that process of evaluating the program, I would talk to families and interview these families and uh, really uh, hear their stories about loss, infant loss, and, and really found that it was generational and really started to see what was the gap in the community, why were black families uh, experiencing uh, infant loss uh, at higher rates than their white counterparts, and really saw that um, there were many issues, but one definitely was access to care, and not just access to care in the in the sense of, oh, uh, we have hospitals, we have doctors, we have uh, emergency rooms, but access to um, care caring providers and providers of their choice. And what I found was that uh, in the in the past, we had these healers and uh, caregivers in our communities that were midwives who that had been pretty much um, uh, run out of business through politics and policy. And uh, the midwives were the ones who really, like I said, were caregivers and healers seen in our community. And so... Uh, I decided that that's what I wanted to do and decided to go uh, to become a nurse midwife. So I went to University of Tennessee Health Science Center here and got a master's in nursing and then did a doctorate in nursing at University of Tennessee. And um, then I did a post-master's certificate in, in midwifery at uh, Frontier Nursing University. So I have a, a certificate in nurse midwifery, but also I'm a family nurse practitioner also. So um, I was hoping to just fulfill uh, the gap that I saw and, um, and fulfill the legacy of those who came before us. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely feel that. So I want to tease apart and get a general understanding of what you all exactly do. So Dr. Gracie, you already kind of talked about this history just yeah. briefly about midwives and the services they provided for uh, their communities a long time ago and how that shifted. So uh, just starting with you, like what exactly does a midwife do? What services do they provide? Because we are seeing this research as a midwifery. Oh, yeah. yeah, I think that uh, we are definitely seeing a, uh, a a movement in our country of where midwives are being um, called upon again, and uh, we are seeing a resurgence of that midwifery practice, uh, uh, art that was almost lost. I mean, uh, so midwives are healthcare providers, and I'm a nurse midwife. Uh, there are different pathways to midwifery. Like I said, I'm a nurse midwife, so I went to nursing school, and then I went and did a graduate degree in midwifery. And uh, then they, they have certified professional midwives or licensed midwives who also practice here in Tennessee. And um, they do a different program, but they're not nurses. And they are more home, home birth midwives. Okay. And so um, what we've seen now is that people are looking for a different type of care. And so uh, midwives are basically, like I said, providers who provide care for women um, during their prenatal 
childbirth and postpartum care. Now, a nurse midwife, which is what I am, I also do GYN care. So regular well woman or well person care as well. And exams. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And exams. So they're not, ne- everybody's not necessarily pregnant that I see, but I can care for a person from um, 13 to death pretty much, you know, so I'm caring for them along their reproductive uh, lifespan. And that is different for most nurse mid, uh, most midwives. So nurse midwives, even though we can care for people along their reproductive life, most of them kind of focus on just when they're pregnant. And so we're able to provide prenatal care and like I said, do uh, labor and delivery and do postpartum care as well. So, yeah, that's what we do. Okay, so mm-hmm. the entire course of like a person's reproductive life starting with like they yeah. come with reproductive age. I never knew that. I thought mm-hmm. it was kind of like this focus on birth, yeah. labor, yeah, pregnancy, yeah, postpartum. No. no, it's not. It's actually uh, a focus on just their reproductive health. And so we provide care for uh, people who have whatever issues, if there's could be, they have uh sexually transmitted infections or they are experiencing uh, menopausal uh, problems or whatever. I mean, we just, we see a whole range of issues. And, um, but a lot of midwives do go to school specifically because they want to care for pregnant people. So um, a lot of them do specifically care for pregnant people, but I actually see pregnant people and I see transgender persons and uh, I see women who come in for whatever gynecological issues that they have. So I do see a wide range of people uh, within a week. Okay. So providing mm-hmm. this holistic care. Absolutely. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to go back to you, Maya, and just talking more about like doula care and the different type of doulas there are available for a person to access. Yeah. So I am a labor doula. So it's different kinds of doulas. Um, and I specialize in ensuring that, and every doula is different. They have their own like motto, but um, because I have a master's in public health, I focus a lot on prevention. Um, I meet with them at least three times prenatally. We talk about pain management. We talk about all the medical interventions. And then as a labor doula, doula, I'm there the entire time doing labor. Um, Normally I don't leave until like if they want to breastfeed, um, like two hours postpartum. So, um, yeah, like that's essentially what a labor doula is. Then you have postpartum doulas. Um, normally they are um, there after the mom or the pregnant person has the baby. And then they're um, helping cleaning up. They're helping um, just assisting the mom to this new person, um, caring for the baby. Um, normally they're there in, in the night, you know, while mom gets some sleep Um, um assisting her or referring her to any, like any, um, people that specialize in certain kind of like, um, postpartum work. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's mainly I, my, my focus is labor doula being a labor doula. Okay. And I'm trying to think about like some other type of services. I know like they're abortion doulas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, they just support a person while they are getting abortion and Absolutely. does it start right there? Like, Normally with abortion, they'll stop. So I know like um, a lot of like independent abortion clinics, even like I think Planned Parenthood, they have like abortion doulas that they're, they're basically like giving them knowledge about what's going to happen. Um, just being that emotional, that person, another 
um, person in the room to provide some emotional care to that person that's going through that process. Okay, so if a person was a full spectrum doula, what would that be? Right. It really depends on what they consider like the full spectrum. Uh So I've heard of even like death doulas that are there like assisting people with um, the process of grief. Um, So um, majority of the time, the full spectrum is um, postpartum labor. And then you may um, abortion doula is included as well. Mm -hmm. So I know you have your own doula business, Peak Wellness. So if you can talk more about that business, like what is the mission, the goals and the work that y'all have been doing? Right. So um, Peak Wellness is two years. And basically we um, it's me and then one of my um, past clients, she's a doula as well. We assist women in decreasing the chances of uh, trauma around birth. So it's not we have this goal of um having a natural birth, we include anybody, a C-section, scheduled C-section. It doesn't have to be a natural birth. We just want to make sure that each person that has a um, baby, we decrease their chances of birth trauma. We want them to be informed. We want want them to basically just enjoy this process of giving birth. And so I know you also have, well, not recently given birth, but (laughs) she's still now, Mm -hmm. Um, but you did um, within two years. And so I wanted to kind of talk more about your birth experience, especially as a black woman. Uh, What was that like? And did you have a doula? What was your support team like? Absolutely. So um, I was a doula actually before I gave birth, but I was... You know, in Memphis, Tennessee, it's no birth centers in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I didn't know at that time any midwives. Um, so I did my um, research and trying to find the most um, equipped OB in the city. Um, I met with them a couple times and it was basically this disconnect. You know, I was very excited. I came with my birth plan, you know, wanting them to be on board with like the natural way that I wanted to give birth. And it seemed as if this person did not want, um, didn't hear me. or just really was open to like my needs and wants. Um, and basically at that time I was working at a, um, I was working at Choices, um, and they were um, they're building the first birth center in Memphis, Tennessee. And I told the uh, midwife that was um, the new hire that I was pregnant. And she basically asked me, would you be interested in a home birth? And before that, I never really thought of a home birth because, again, like I didn't want to spend four thousand dollars. I didn't think this was accessible to me. Um, and I didn't honestly know anybody that had a home birth. Um, and then I guess like the stars aligned and <laughs> I had two incredible midwives and one birth um, um, student midwife there with me. And it was absolutely what I wanted. I wanted to move around. I wanted to um, be able to eat. I wanted to be I wanted to drink. Um, I wanted uh, my partner to be there. Um, and I was able to do all that in in my home. So I definitely if you're. If you're able to have a home birth, I definitely recommend, you know, looking into it for sure. And you uh, mentioned how you didn't know that was a possibility. Um, Do you think that other pregnant people in Memphis and Tennessee uh, don't know the variety of options when it comes to their particular births? And if so, why do you think that's the case? Absolutely. I think a lot of people just don't, they don't know like the option around like home birth. I think one of the biggest barriers is the affordability. For the longest, you know, you would have to spend three, three to five thousand dollars to even have a home birth. Um, a lot of midwives, and I think um, 
and Nakia discussed this, you know, you have two different midwives, you know, majority of the certified professional midwives, they do the home birth. So that means that they normally don't take insurance. So majority of the time you have to pay out of pocket. Um, and of course, like that's not accessible, to a, accessible to a lot of people, especially if they're going to have a new baby and they don't want to spend four or $5,000 on just, you know, home birth. So I think the affordability is the biggest barrier. Um, and then, you know, just feeling comfortable with somebody that looks like you, right? So I know even for me, even when I was going down the OB track, I wanted someone to um, look like me, quite frankly. Um, and that's why I chose that OB. And uh, she had a master's in counseling. So I was thinking like this person would have bedtime, bed, uh, great bedtime manners. Um, but um, yeah, I think one of, the, one of the reasons why we don't have a lot of people, particularly Black people that think that this is accessible is because we don't have the diversity of midwives in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I want to uh, come back to you, Dr. Grayson, uh, on that uh, diversity um, like tip and how like what's the makeup of midwifery now? Um, yeah. I kind of heard about a lot of white midwives, but yeah. a lot of our black people represented in the field. And if so, or if not so, like why is that the case? I, I want to first say that Maya was amazing in birth. <laughs> I didn't think I could do it. I, didn't do it. I, I had the pleasure of being my one of Maya's midwives, and Maya was amazing, and she did a really great job. And um, she was actually my first home birth, oh. and uh, her and Sophia. And uh, I did not think that she was going to make it. <laughs> I was like, mm -mm, she ain't going to make it. We're going to be in the hospital. Um, but she did amazingly well. And actually, Maya was the one who really gave me the faith to be able to do home births because a lot of the people that were coming to uh, see us that wanted home births, I just, I didn't know they could make it, you know, especially because I was trained in a system. I was trained in the hospital. I'd only seen birth in the hospital. And most nurse midwives, that is the only way they do see birth. And um, the way we practice is usually in the hospitals and not, um, not not home births or uh, and there're not that many birth centers in the country. So um, Maya taught me a lot about myself and about women and uh, the strength that they you know that they have. And she was amazing. And um, yeah, so it was a really good experience. Uh, you asked about midwives in the United States. Well, midwifery in the United States is I mean I mean you know you had midwives here forever. And um, there aren't that many midwives in the South. And if you look at a lot of the health disparities or, you know, inequities that we see, a lot of them we're focused in the South, especially the Southeastern section of the United States. And it's, it's still, the, you know, the, those numbers kind of reflect um, what we're seeing in terms of midwifery as well. You know, the lack of midwives and um, the birth outcomes being um, not as great. So the reason that there are not that many midwives in the South is that the laws are different from state to state, unfortunately, and um, the restrictions on midwifery can be kind of What are some of those harmful. restrictions? Yeah, uh, some of those restrictions are, so in each state, um, in all of the 50 states, certified nurse midwives are allowed to practice. Okay. Um, now, how they practice is different. So, because certified midwives, certified nurse midwives are considered advanced practice nurses. So, like a family nurse practitioner. 
So uh, they are allowed, they're licensed to practice in the 50 states. But some of the states require them to have what they call supervision by physician, or they have uh, what they call collaborative agreements with physicians. So if a physician does not agree to be their supervisor or collaborating physician, then they cannot practice. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so uh, there are some states that they don't have that. They can act as independent practitioners. There are maybe mm, 23, I think, states where they can act as independent practitioners, where they don't have to have that supervisory role or that collaborative role with is a physician. Is Tennessee one of them? Tennessee is not one of them. Tennessee uh, requires that they have what they call a collaborative agreement. And um, so that, of course, makes it hard because here in Memphis, there are no midwives that work outside of uh, Regional One Hospital. So if the OBs in the community don't support midwifery or are willing to collaborate with midwives or nurse midwives in the community, then they don't have a job or opportunity. So, um, yeah, it's it's really it's really interesting. Um why that is, but there are not that many midwives in the country as a whole, you know, and then um, women of color only make up about four or five percent of those midwives. And only then four to five percent. Four to five percent. And then black midwives specifically only make up about two, three percent of that. So there are not a lot of us. Um, there are a lot of barriers to uh, becoming midwives in the United States and definitely a lot, a lot of barriers for people of color. So what is the logic behind these restrictions and having to need yeah. like need mm-hmm. these agreements? It, it's about power. It's um. about power and control. Um, yeah, it's about power and control. And this is what we're we're seeing across you know the United States, not just with nurse midwives, but also with family nurse practitioners who have to have these agreements as well and are not able to practice in their full scope of practice. And so uh, the, many of the uh, associations across the state, like Tennessee Nursing Association and many of the other uh, national American Nursing Association, many of these national organizations are lobbying to, of course, have these rules overturned. So they're uh, working really hard and diligently to um, to get advanced practice nurses to be able to to work within their full scope. But it's a it's an ongoing fight. Like I did like people be working together, but it's just struggle over power and who can right. do what and provide what Absolutely. services. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so Maya, I'm dead kind of thinking about like the availability of midwives. I'm also thinking about the availability of doulas and thinking about black doulas, doulas of color as well. But um, cause I know there's like a lot of conversation about um, and just different research that talks about um, people having access to uh, doulas. So what does that look like in Memphis? And then also across the state of Tennessee, like um, this, demand for doulas, but also the availability of doulas, and then also Black doulas who are available. Right. Um, So I know that for the longest, like, doulas have been noted as being, like, a luxury service for, like, the only, like, people that could spend fourteen, fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars, right? Um, and I know like for the when I came, um, that's kind of what the scope was, you know, like even like they had like certain agencies that, you know, you basically show up and, you know, the clientele looked completely different. Um, they were more in like Germantown area, mm-hmm. East Memphis East Memphis, not in like the urban area. And majority of like people of color, it was just 
priced out where they couldn't really assess the, um, access that. Um, and then, um, so to make my services kind of more accessible, I do kind of meet people where they are. We do uh, payment plans, you know, um, and then, um, you know, we have an organization called Birth Strides that they are doing phenomenal work, but they are grant funded organization. So obviously they can, and I think their setup is if you live in a certain zip code, you get a doula free. Um, but as far as like a private doula, you know, because you are a business, you can't necessarily have doula, you know, you can't work for free. Yeah. So you just try to meet, you know, clients in the, um, the best way possible. And for me, like a, um, a payment plan has really worked. Um, I don't feel comfortable with my services charging fifteen to sixteen hundred dollars. Um, I do not know any doulas, particularly in the South, that are just like full time doulas. Um, you know, we have a couple that we call like rock star, you know, doula rock stars, where they have different packages like trainings and they do placenta encapsulation and other things, but um, you don't really have like a lot of doulas that are just doing this completely full time. Um, especially with the target population that I'm interested in. Um, so it is a conversation about Medicaid reimbursement that is um, going about. Um, but, you know, if midwives are having a very difficult time in with Medicaid reimbursement, you can just only imagine what the reimbursement rate yeah. is going to be for <laughs> doulas, right? Um, so I don't necessarily think that is like the, the end all when it comes to like making sure doulas are accessible. Um, but I think they, um, you know, like the studies show that, you know, they are important, right? So doulas increase the chances of um, just a better birth outcome, increases breastfeeding rates, um, decreases like cesarean rates. So all this is evidence-based, but as far as accessibility, that's something that um, we haven't really solved because again, like it could be very um, expensive to get a doula. If you are a marginalized population, you know, I mean, we have a broken system, right? You know what I mean, right. we have a broken healthcare system, and um, I mean, until we really start to address that and uh, you know address the the structural racism and and violence that we see in this system, then we you know we will always have those who who can afford certain services and those who can't, and you know with the marginalized people kind of being on the outside, so. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like kind of like what you were saying initially, like this, it was seen as this like luxury, like mm-hmm. service and like the people of a certain class had access to doulas. Do you think it's important, therefore, for like people who come from a low uh, socioeconomic status, who come from black and brown communities to have doulas that look like them? Absolutely. Yeah. So you know, when I first started, you know, I was with a particular organization and that clientele was completely different. And it was this disconnect, to be to be honest, you know, like first we would just show up at births without like any prenatal education in the beginning. So I literally would just meet women and when they're in the most vulnerable yeah, like state, right then and there, like, <laughs> but naked, you know, mm-hmm. so that, that in itself would be very difficult to create a rapport. Um, and I feel like I wasn't necessarily needed, but I do, you know, I pride myself on creating a sisterhood with my clients, you know, that I'm able to go to their baby showers. I'm able to like continue this you know, relationship even after birth. And I think that's very important because having a baby can be so isolating. And a lot of these women, the way that they want a parent um, is completely different from where they came from. So they want to connect with people that, you know, that 
are breastfeeding, you know, like even with, I know with my mom and her mom didn't even breastfeed. So it was very important for me to connect with women that were pregnant and, you know, had the same kind of parenting style that I wanted to implement with my child. And you can do that with a doula. Like they open up a gateway of like birth workers to you. So if you're having issues with birth, with breastfeeding, they can introduce you to the birth, the, the community that's breastfeeding. Or if you want to do cloth diapers, like that is, you're not the crazy person, the holistic person in the group. You have this like ongoing community. And I think that's what a lot of people are missing that could ultimately, I don't know if it's like you can, you know, research it, but I know like community is so important when you're, when you're having a baby, you know? So I think that in itself improves birth outcomes and just living in general. Yeah, I think we're building that community here. I yeah. will say that um, Maya and I do a lot of work together. And I think that that has been the key to a lot of successful outcomes for us. Uh, we talk about the women or the families we serve and we make a plan together for them and and, and really work really hard to um to find resources for them. And I mean, we were just talking about social one last workers. night. I know we are social workers. <laughs> we were just talking about this last night because we have yeah. we have a client in common and and just talking about some of the needs that she has and how we can connect her with these services. And I'll be very honest, when I went to school and decided to become a midwife, I never thought that I was going to be a social worker and a counselor and all these other <laughs> things. You know, it's just, it became... And it's the population that we serve. Yeah, it's the population yeah, like, that we, we serve. And um, it's, it's hard work, but it's rewarding work. And it really is the hardest work I've ever done in my life. And so uh, I don't think that I saw it the way that it is unfolding. Uh, some of it I did, but other pieces I didn't. So we'll see. We're just going to continue to um, chip away at a lot of the uh, the issues we see in the community and figure out ways to increase the number of birth workers in the community. I mean, Maya and I talk about that a lot also because it, it sucks being the only. It sucks being the only in some of these spaces that... Mm -hmm. um, you know, we shouldn't be only in, in 2019. Mm -hmm. And expanding that. And I hear both of you all talking about this need to build community and show up for these folks and, um, you know, just trust building and just letting them know that you're here for them and, you know, you'll serve as like a, like social worker, um, and, that being a part of the holistic services that you all provide. Um, so thinking about like uh, being a part of the community and providing resources for the community, uh, Maya, I know you hosted an event in April, Melanated Birth Yoga. And I just was uh, curious, like what was the inspiration for that event? And uh, like, what was the unmet need that you felt um, like that event was going to feel? Um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm a person of faith and, um, in Memphis, Tennessee, like I think we're like number one on like having the number one uh, number of uh, churches per capita in the entire nation. Um, and I see an increase in like churches, but I see like health disparities as well, yeah. you know, so it's this disconnect of like healing. Um, and I wanted to just bring attention to getting more um particularly like black women interested in other, in other ways of healing other than faith. Um, and I think it kind of played out where we had the setting at a local church, you know, because, you know, you can go to church and you can also, um, 
just not have tools around stress. So I wanted to bring that, but also highlight the importance of um, the options of birth, the birth options in Memphis, Tennessee. So that's basically what it was. I would, I wanted to to get um, give people another tool around birth and healing. Yeah. What was mm-hmm. the response from the event? It was great. Yeah, it was the first one, and it was really nice to see like black women rest and sleep and nap. You know, um, so many pregnant uh, bodies just being in community and. Um, just expressing, going over the birth story, right? So yeah. that was very important because it's not a lot of spaces for people to talk about the birth story, trauma or not, great experience. Um, but it was just beautiful um, just to see women really express and just feel vulnerable around birth. Um, so we definitely want to do it again. I think it's something that we were even thinking about going in different states, um, yeah, take it out on the road. Yeah, <laughs> it was so important. It. Yeah, yeah, it was very beautiful. We had a lot of people that came and um, sponsored the event. So, yeah, it was very, it was great. It was great. So, Dr. Grayson, you mentioned like kind of this this tiredness of being the only you and mm-hmm. Maya. So, you know, I, majority Memphis is a majority black city. My hometown, I love Memphis, and yeah. <laughs> and. With that being said, there's this lack of like majority black birth workers. Like, why is that the case? And is that true uh, for the rest of Tennessee? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, I mean, in terms of of midwives, this is the case. Um, Memphis, not necessarily in terms of uh, OBs. I think it's maybe about 50-50 for the OBs okay. in terms of... Uh, you know, uh, black, white, or, you know, even male, female, I think they're running about 50-50 for OBs, but for midwives, it's different. So in Memphis, there are not that many midwives, home birth midwives or midwives that practice in So the in general, there's not a lot. Mm, no, not here in Memphis. And so uh, I'm considered like a community midwife, and I'm a midwife, a nurse midwife who can both do planned hospital births or home births. And I'm the only provider in the city that can, that does that. In the city. I'm the only one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of it's pressure. It's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I do have uh, patients who want to go and have a planned hospital birth and we do that. And then I have those who want to uh, home birth and we do, do those as well. And so it's a lot of work. Um, because this model is very different. It's very relationship-based, and, you know, you get to know people in a very different way. When they come for care, they're not coming for a, a quick visit. Uh, some visit, Most visits are hour-long. Some have been longer. <laughs> very personal <laughs> yes, connection. very personal connection, <laughs> and you really do get to know uh, each other very well. And so by the time that they, they're ready to give birth, you really know them. And so it's, uh, it's very therapeutic as well. I would say that, like I said, the visits are about an hour long and, uh, and then the postpartum care is different as well. So, um, I see my patients more in postpartum than most, um, obstetric, uh, 
gynecologists do. And so I think that the, that care is really different. It's really important. It's very much needed. And it will really help to uh, address, to me, it really will help to address the maternal mortality numbers we're seeing in the black community. Because once you really get to know someone and trust them and recognize that they are really the expert of their own life and their body and their experience, and um, and that you are there to, as a partner with them to, you know, on this journey toward uh, parenthood and really helping them to prepare for for motherhood or parenthood, I think that's really um I really feel like that's what my job is. And so uh, it's it's different from, um, you know, being in a clinic where you see 20 people a day. You know, I may only see five or six. Yeah. And and that's okay because I spent a lot of time. With those five with or six those people. With those five or six people. Yes, yes, yes. So I know lots of folks are excited about the opening of Choices uh, new birthing center. Um, it's going to be opening, you know, very soon. Yeah. And so I want to uh, see if you all could talk more about like the vision for that, like how it's different yeah, um, and like the first different. of its kind and more so about the midwifery model of care that they're trying to center the birthing center in. Right. Well, Choices, as you know, Choices, which is Memphis Center for Reproductive Health, here uh, started off as a first trimester abortion clinic uh, right at the row and uh, has really evolved into this uh, amazing, eclectic, independent clinic, you know, that sits in Memphis, Tennessee, you know. And so um, what the vision right now is, and we're uh, ever-changing based on our community needs, but the vision is to to provide this full-spectrum care, which really is this full-spectrum reproductive care where we care for people uh, regardless of, you know, whether they're men, women, children, we see all of them. And so what we're trying to do now is, or what we are doing, I should say, because we really are doing it, is um, provide people with options in, this, in in Memphis. And so Choices has started uh, now, um, when did we start this? In 2016, I would say. In 2016, we decided to... Um, to provide midwifery services, added midwifery services to the services that were already there, which were, um, of course, like the first trimester abortions, which was transgender care. We have a, a large transgender clinic as well, and decided to add midwifery services. And the the goal was to, or the idea was that we were going to um, bring midwifery services to communities that did not have it as an option, basically. There are many, um, the majority of births in, in Tennessee are are on Medicaid, I mean, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. persons who uh, give birth are on Medicaid. And so for that reason, they really kind of cut out of a lot of services that could be available to them. And so we wanted to bring midwifery services and that option of uh, birth choices to the most marginalized communities and really allow them to have the same experience experience that we were seeing white women were able to pay for out of pocket in terms of midwifery care. And so what we decided to do was we were going to take anybody to walk through the door. And that first year we did. And that first year was absolutely crazy. It was, I was like, we are crazy. Uh, and we took everybody that walked through the door that we could. And, um, regardless of the insurance they had, and we kind of just worked it out. And so what we found was that um, 
we had the most diverse group of patients. You know, some people who were who had, you know, high levels of formal education, all of them were highly educated. I mean, they they knew a lot a lot about their bodies, they knew a lot about what they wanted, they knew a lot about um re- reproductive health, you know, but um like I said, some who were had higher levels of formal education and then though there were some who had five or six children already. You know, I mean the the, the that diversity was and experiences uh, was really yeah, present. It was mm-hmm. very different experience with each family. And so we wanted to make sure that everyone had access to the best care. You know, this high quality, non judgmental care that was centered around them. It was very personal, very individualized and uh, wanted to to meet not only their uh, medical needs, but we also wanted to meet their social and emotional needs as well. And I think we did a <laughs> we did a good job of it. I mean, we were we were ever learning and ever changing, and you know, we uh, definitely um, fail fast so that we can recover. <laughs> but I tell everybody, I feel like with this model of adding birth services to you know, this clinic that was, uh, like I said, initially a first trimester abortion clinic. Um, initially, we weren't sure how we were going to be perceived in the community. And I think that we were, um, we've been perceived much better than, yeah, expected. <laughs> than we expected. Yeah. I don't, not we initially. 40 births. Yeah, we had, we had like 48, something like that, uh, maybe a little bit more. But I think we were um, not perceived well initially, but I think that, you know, you just do the work and, you and build those up. relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And now we, I think we have a really good relationship in the, with the community and that um, we, ter- we, we, we can't take everybody, you know. And so our hope is that this model can be replicated where you see these full spectrum clinics, you know, across the country and uh, providing people with this care that they need, this high quality, non-judgmental care and factual based care. That was really important as well, you know, to not um, use power and intimidation and birth work was really important. And to listen to people and listen to families and listen to women and trusting them as and the trusting experts. them as the experts of their bodies and honoring them and respecting them. So that was really important to us. And I think that we, you know, we are continuing in that way and continuing in that model. And hopefully uh, our next goal is to, like I said, to increase the number of birth workers, specifically birth workers of color in the city of Memphis. So we definitely need more help and we're looking. And the, the goal of the birth center is not just to uh, to provide access to uh, you know these birth services for the community, but also to be a training ground for uh, birth workers of color. That's amazing. Thank you all so much for the work that you all are doing and building these relationships and grounding this work in the community and trusting these folks as the experts of their lived experiences. Like it's greatly appreciated. Um, So um, just as the last question, if people wanted to connect with the work that you all are doing and want to learn more about you all, uh, how could they go about doing so? Well, um, they can find me at Choices. Uh, I'm there five days a week. So, you know, of course, Choices, Memphis Center for Reproductive Health. Our website is um, memphischoices.org, or they can find me on my website, which is my name, NakiaGrayson.com. Um, I don't think it's too hard to find 
me and Maya in the city, we are. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all around. We are around. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And my website is peakwomenswellness.com. So, yeah, I think just they shoot can me find an email. Us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. I think that, uh, I think people know where to find us now. Um, I don't think we're doing a whole lot of advertising these days. And, no, we're, we're <laughs> and not. we have a lot of business. So, yeah. 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 yeah but it's no, we really, yeah, it is. And we really want to help others to do the work because it's a lot of work that needs to be done. And it's a lot for just a handful of people to do it. So, yeah. And what we're also seeing is that a lot of the families that we serve, the the women end up deciding to become birth workers as right. well. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And Ma, yeah. you talked about that, yeah. how yeah. your former client is now working with you. You were her yeah. doula and she's working with you now. Yeah. Like, I don't know what it is. Like when they have a baby with us, it's just, it opens another, like a different way of looking at birth to yeah. them and they want to be in it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so we end up meeting these uh, wonderful families and women and we help them and then they t- in turn turn around and help others and it's really you know paying it forward and so I, I think it's a beautiful thing um we hosted a doula training here last year mm-hmm. in October in yeah October. and I think majority of the people we yeah we, we work with yeah absolutely yeah, yeah so they were we trained were 17 mm-hmm. yeah I was in there yeah yeah, 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 yeah I enjoyed right. it yeah it was really great. and so our goal is to increase those numbers and of um it's a little easier to train them to be doulas than it is to to train them to be, be midwives. midwives but um our goal is to um also help grow mid- midwives in the city. It, you know, the midwifery training is, a, you know, a longer process. And then also finding uh, preceptors, which is had, which is what has been a barrier for a lot of midwives, uh, student midwives of color has been finding preceptor opportunities and clinical training sites has been a problem. But many of the organizations are now stepping up to try to address those issues as well, recognizing that historically, uh, black and brown um, persons have been shut out of these clinical experiences. And now so this has become a a, um, a focus for many of the organizations, you know, uh, uh, ACNM, which is American College of Nurse Midwives, and MANA, uh, Midwifery Alliance of North America, and NARM, and, and several of them, MEAC, and several of the other organizations now are having this focus and this push to um, definitely uh, center uh, black and brown students. So, uh, the hope and the prayer is that we will see more midwives of color come out of this. So, yeah, here in Memphis and across the yeah, state as well. Absolutely. Yeah, well, thank you again uh, so much for joining us. I really enjoyed this conversation and we will continue to uplift the work y'all do. Okay, great. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us for this podcast brought to you by Healthy and Free Tennessee. Healthy and Free Tennessee is a statewide coalition whose mission is to promote sexual and reproductive health and freedom in Tennessee by advancing policies and practices which recognize these elements as essential to the overall well-being of all individuals and communities. Please find us online at www.healthyandfreetn.org, on Instagram at healthyfreetn.org, and on Facebook and Twitter at Healthy and Free TN.